0: Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Here in West Virginia, I am from West Virginia, if you don't know, from McDowell, <laughs> McDowell, New Hall Haller, Cucumber Creek. Yes, that's where I'm from, actually. And uh, we came over here in 2000, April Fool's Day, we moved to West Virginia. That's true. And uh, the Lord, the church in Nashville, well, Goodlandsville sent us out we really felt a strong call to come here and plant a church back then there were there was only one other Calvary in West Virginia that was in Mount Hope and they're not even there anymore and uh, anyway uh, we came over here and uh, prayed and started inviting people to a home group up in Oakland Terrace in our living room and then we rented over by the rec center then we moved over to Highland Avenue bought that place and then we came up here and then 06 was it 06 we got this place i think about this building and yeah we we were crammed in there's a picture we had the drums and the pa and everything in a little tiny space and we were on top of each other but it was a lot of fun we hung we put that wall in we gutted this into the building and i have a picture of us raising that wall we built it on the floor and raised it up and there were about 12 of us blaine you were here and mitch and and all of us and we were putting that up and it was great but uh, you know the main thing is the fruit the fruit of the spirit we see the work of God in people's hearts and people finding their gifts, you know, finding their place in the body and uh, following through with what has, God has given them. So uh, we're going to be in Galatians 6 this morning and um, if you will stand with me for the reading of God's word, uh, just to give you a little introduction. If you know the book of Galatians, and I'm sure your pastors have probably taught it before, the Gal- Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of people who had fallen into false doctrine. Okay, and that's why the, that's why he had to write to them. They had a, some people. I'm sure you've heard of the Judaizers. The Judaizers were the folks that were coming from Jerusalem, and every time a, a group of new Christians would would. Come come to the Lord. These Judaizers would run in with their false doctrine and say, "Okay, now you've got to do all the Jewish stuff, like keep the laws and the, health, the food laws and all this kind of thing, but especially circumcision." You know, and you can imagine for a bunch of grown men that wasn't going to go over very well. And, uh, but uh, this was one of the main issues in the book of Galatians, and that's why Paul had to address it and say, "You guys have, you know, you've gotten into some some false stuff." But I love it that in the end of this book, you know, that he he's actually he's been kind of rough on him, if you know the book. One place he even calls him "you foolish Galatians." He said, "You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who tricked you? Who fooled you?" But now at the end of it, he 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 kind of he warms up to him. You know, he doesn't want to close out on a, a negative note. So he he closes out with this passage today that we're going to look at. And he says in uh, Galatians six one, he says, "Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual." Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load." Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh." But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me. For I bear in my body the the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your great love and your kindness to us. Thank you for your word. May it penetrate our hearts. Lord, please give us the grace this morning to set aside any apprehensions, Lord, or any distractions that would keep us from hearing your voice. And Lord, please let us hear the voice of your spirit and not merely the words of a man. So we thank you for everyone who's come in here, who's brought in, even those who have brought in their offerings, those who brought in their troubles, anyone who might be heavy-hearted, anybody who might be frustrated or, or afraid. Let, let the soothing word of your Holy Spirit remind us of your great love for your people. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I want to let you guys know that I don't know if any of you guys ever listened to our broadcast in Tennessee, and I, I pastor the Calvary Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee, that uh, we had just finished up the book of Galatians. And I liked this chapter so much when I finished it up I said I want to teach this again because this chapter to me is a, it's like a standalone chapter as long as you know the context of what the book is about you can actually look at this chapter standalone but I liked it so much that I wanted to bring it to you it reminds me of the man who found a little pig and he didn't know what to do with it and he was a cute little pig. It wasn't very big. You know, when they're little, they're cute. And, and he said, I don't know what to do with this pig. You know, and he went around and asked his neighbors, and nobody knew what to do about it, and nobody knew anything about it. So he stopped the county sheriff out here. He saw him, and he said, Hey, I found this little pig, and I don't know what to do with it. And he said, Well, said, why don't you just take it down to the zoo? And he said, Well, okay, if you say so. So he took it down to the zoo, and then the next day the, the county sheriff was out, and he saw the same man. And he had the pig in the front seat of the car. And the pig had a balloon and some cotton candy. And he said, what's going on? He said, oh, how you doing? He said, I am so glad you told me to take this pig to the zoo. He said, I took this pig to the zoo and we had so much fun that today we went to the county fair. So, so I like this message so much. That I brought it to you guys today. Okay? But like John Coffey and I said, sometimes a, a warmed-over sermon is just like pinto beans. It's better than the next day. Okay? So, Paul, he had had to sternly correct these people because, listen, this is what you got to keep in mind: the, the Galatians were not Jewish. They were Gentiles. They were in what is modern day Turkey. They didn't have Old Testament. They didn't have Moses. They didn't have Tabernacle. They didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have any of the laws. Okay? They hear of Christ. They want to be saved. They hear of the Savior of the world that forgives them of their sins. They're filled with the Spirit. They say, yes, please, Lord. And then all of a sudden, the Judaizers in Jerusalem go, oh, now we got to come down and straighten these guys out and give them all the Old Testament trappings so they can be more like us. So um, this is what this book is about. And Paul has been pretty Stern with them, but now at the end of the book, as he's closing out, notice he opens up with the word brethren. He says, Brethren, these were not Jews. Paul was Jewish. If anyone had the right or the position to to take the position of the Judaizers, these Jewish people, it would have been Paul. Paul said, I'm a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. You know, I'm a, a Pharisee. You know, he, he gave all his credentials of being so Jewish, and yet, He told these Judaizers, you guys are wrong for trying to put this guilt trip on these people and demanding more of them than even God asks. How many of you feel like sometimes religious people put more of a trip on you than even God requires of you? We have to be careful not to do that with our friends. We could be guilty of the same thing. So he says here, brethren. He's including these people. He's accepting these people. He's showing fidelity and goodwill to these Gentile believers. Now, when Paul back when Paul was a Pharisee, he would have nothing to do with any Gentile. Don't go to their house or eat with them or anything. And now he calls them brethren. He includes them. He he says, "You're, you're one of us. I'm, I, I am with you here." And but it says, "If any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also." be tempted. Now the word here, overtaken and I'm not going to wear you guys out with the Greek, okay, but the word here overtaken means someone who is caught in the very act caught in the very act of sin even if someone is caught in the very act of sin okay, and it also recommend, represents someone who has fallen into sin, okay, and these people had fallen into sin, they would fallen into legal bondage by listening to false teachers, and it's easy to, to listen to false teachers, isn't it? Except today, they're all on YouTube and podcasts, and and they're, they're all over the web, and you can listen, get false teachers on your phone, or they come to your door, or whatever. So there's still a lot of false teachers around. And these people had fallen into this stuff, and so he's saying, you people who are truly spiritual um, need to be the ones who will restore them. Now, I think it's important here, he says, if anyone is overtaken in a trespass. I think you could have easily just have said, when any of you fall into a trespass. Because it's going to happen. People fall into sin. Now, and it's different, okay, if you, if you remember back in Galatians chapter 5, when Paul is talking about people who are practicing sin, okay, and he talks about people who, and that that's contrasted with someone who falls into sin. Notice here he says, I know many of you know this passage, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, Fornication, and i noticed that you know, he mentioned sexual sin first, okay, and that, that's porn, you know, uh, having an affairs, you know, p- people who aren't married who are do- doing all kinds of things that they shouldn't be doing. But he says adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, which is drug use. Uh, the, the Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia, where we get our word pharmacy. Hatred contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies envy, it gets worse and worse right? murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like of which I tell you beforehand just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God those who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God, so it's one thing to practice these things and it's another thing to fall into it, okay and we all know people that practice sin they want to get good at sin You ever know people that brag about how much they drink? They brag about all the women they've been with? Brag about all the men they've been with? Brag about how they cheated their competitors or how they got over on this person? They want to get good at being bad, right? And he's talking here about people who practice sin. But in Galatians 6, he's not talking about that. He's talking about someone who falls into it. Okay, And it's easy to fall into it. It's easy to have itching ears, and hear some new strange doctrine, and you go, "Oh, that sounds cool," and you start. And you know, the next thing you know, you've run out of the road, and you're, you're off the path somehow. Greg Laurie t- told the story, and you all know him. He compared it to two night watchmen. One night watchman, he's kind of old, like me, you know. He's he's at work, and he's he's not feeling well, and he maybe he's been a little sick, and he's tired, and he sits down on the bench just for a second, and he. Next thing you know, he dozes off, right? But there's another night watchman. And he comes to work with a sleeping bag and some earplugs. And he finds a place and sneaks off to the corner of the plant or the parking lot when nobody's going to check on him. And he just unrolls his sleeping bag and puts his earplugs in and gets him a good snooze for about 45 minutes, right? That's the difference between practicing sin and falling into sin. So Paul here is talking to, to people who have fallen in. He said, if any of you have fallen into this, then what? He says, those of you who are spiritual, those of you who have not fallen into this, then you need to take biblical responsibility of restoring the other person. And sometimes when someone sins, it's awkward, isn't it? And we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to get involved. We don't know what to say. We're afraid they'll get mad at us. We don't, we don't know how to handle it. But we have to take a responsibility. Why? To scold them? To put them in their place and let them know what's what? No, because we care about them and we want them to get healed. But we cannot be cowards about it. You hearing me? We can't just say, I don't want to, it's too messy. It's awkward. I, I I, I can't get into this. It says, you who are spiritual, if you really are spiritual, then do this. Do this thing. Well, what do you do? You restore. You restore them. Okay. Now the word restore here is a medical term. It means it's the same word used to set a bo- broken bone. To set a broken bone. And when you set a broken bone, you have to be patient and it has to be done with tenderness. If you don't, that bone will no, not grow back properly. When I lived over in MacDowell, we had a, a, a little puppy and I dropped it. And I dropped it on the concrete steps. That wasn't funny, y'all. Who's laughing about that? That wasn't funny. Anyway, guess what? The little dog's leg was broken. Well, we didn't go to the vet back in those days. We we splinted it up, you know, and taped it up and everything, you know. And it didn't grow back properly. And the poor little dog had 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 a broken bone there in his leg. Same way. If someone sins and we don't deal with them properly, they won't grow back properly they 'll grow back'll they'll, they'll walk funny later you know and and in their spiritual walk so it says here that we need to treat them with meekness okay in a spirit of gentleness now in the Greek and I promise I'm not going to wear you out with Greek words but it's the same word that Jesus uses when he says blessed are the meek the word meek means to keep your emotions in check it means you're not too angry about it and you're not too passive about it. Sometimes when someone sins, we say, well, you know, it ain't no big deal, bro. Everybody does it. I mean, come on, you know. You know. And besides, it, it, it was a sin back in those days, but it's not a sin anymore because times change. And people make all these excuses. We can be way too gentle on the person, gentle to the point of being passive and not really dealing with it. Or we can be too harsh. We can embarrass them. We want to punish them. We want to humiliate them. How dare you? What do you who do you think you're? Oh, man. God. And we just let them have it and we blast them. So both of those extremes are not being meek. So if someone sins, then we are gentle with them and we restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Notice here, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Because next time it might be you. It might be you that falls into it next time. And you need the grace of others. You need the healing. You need someone to be gentle with you. And I think also here, the temptation can be even with the person who is Uh, dealing with that sin, you can be tempted to be too passive or you can be tempted to be too harsh, but restore them in a spirit of gentleness. okay? Because any one of us can drift into sin, fall into sin, especially when we're not paying attention. We're not paying attention. When we're spiritually lazy. We drift into compromise. Maybe neglect the prayer meetings, neglect the word of God, hang with the wrong people, whatever. There's a hundred different ways that we can drift into sin and we can fall into these kind of things. But that's why we have to pay attention here. Okay. Now, I think it's really interesting, too, when you read through Galatians, uh, this last chapter of Galatians here, how many times the fruits of the Spirit come up that are mentioned back in Galatians of chapter 5. Gentleness, patience, self-control, meekness—these kind of things are mentioned because if we truly are spirit-filled, then this is what will manifest in our lives, especially as we deal with other people. And that's why it's—it's it's important, you know. I, I've known this verse. If any of you is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit and meekness. I, that's one of the first verses I ever learned, but I didn't learn it in context. And that's why it's important, and that's one of the reasons that I love the way we we teach verse by verse, is you take this verse and you put it in the context of the previous chapter. If you truly are spirit-filled, these will be the evidences in your life. You will be a gentle person. You will be a kind person. You will be a patient person because Jesus makes you that way, not because you do it yourself, because we can't do it. We can't fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. I can only fake being patient so long until something gets on my nerves, you know, then. Jesus has to take over. Right? You know, he should have taken over at the beginning. That's that's the whole point. But notice here, he's going to move on. Here he says, "Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ." Bear one another's burdens. You you all know Matthew chapter twenty three is the passage where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for one of the things he rebukes them for is adding burdens to people's lives. The the, the Pharisees made religion very hard on folks. And probably most of us have been in churches where religious people made it hard on us, right? They would scold us about almost everything we did. And I don't know if I mentioned this to you guys before or not, but the way I was raised, they would—I'm violating all kinds of things. They, they would preach against short-sleeve shirts and jewelry, including a wristwatch or a wedding band. Can you imagine that? Some of those holiness churches that I grew up in—they they preaching us going to a basketball game or a movie or facial hair. Or, and all kinds of things, you know. They would they would they would just they would just put this trip on you all the time. And they were adding burdens. But here he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay? Now it's fascinating that these Judaizers who were coming in and trying to control these people, they were overly concerned with 613 Old Testament laws. 613 Old Testament laws. And they were overly concerned with all those things, but they were neglecting what Jesus Christ Himself said in John chapter 13 when Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. You guys remember that one? A new commandment. And Jesus was a Jew. And all of His disciples were Jewish. And He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you love also one another. That's the new commandment. And love seeks no will to his neighbor. And love bears one another's burdens. So if we truly are spirit-filled Christians, we will practice love for one another. And in order to practice love for one another, you have to get involved with each other. And it can get awkward, and it can get messy, and it can get uncomfortable, but that's the only way. I was one of those boys in school. Believe it or not, I was not a chick magnet. I know you guys have a hard time <laughs> with believing that, and I'm not lying, I promise. But I would always have like these terrible crushes on these girls, and I was scared to death to even talk to them. Well, it doesn't work like that, I found out. And then some other guy who had a little more courage than me would ask her out or whatever, right? So in the same way... We cannot be afraid to engage with other believers because guess what? You will both grow. You will both grow when we engage with other people. And we learn to bear one another's burdens and and open up to each other and share these things. So verse 3 here he says, If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now these religious men were very good at impressing one another, but they were good at little else. They, 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 were, they weren't really as spiritual as they thought they were and they would come in with their robes and their rules and all this kind of thing but they had no fruit of the Spirit no fruit of the Spirit and that's what God is looking for in their lives is the fruit of the Spirit uh, one of the things that really got me excited about when I started coming to Calvary Chapel about 30 years ago uh, is I heard Pastor Chuck Smith say that the more spiritual a person becomes the less religious he acts and I thought well that's, that's pretty interesting the more spiritual a person becomes, the less religious he acts. Now that's no excuse for spiritual laziness, but we don't have to go around and speaking like this to one another, you know. I always get so I always thought it was so weird when guys would get into the pulpit, you know, and they'd always refer to their wife as Sister Van Over here. She and I were having devotions at the home the other night, you know. I always wondered, is that the way they talk at home to each other? <laughs> Honey, what would you like to watch on the television tonight? Yay, verily, I think we should watch 700 Club. And not the carnal wrestling match. I know I'm being silly, and I shouldn't be so silly. Bill Scott makes me silly. Did y'all know that? When I get around Bill Scott, I act silly. And I have to, I have to just resist that temptation. Okay. But... But the truth is, the more spiritual and and in touch with Jesus we become, we don't have to act so religious and uptight all the time. We can really be ourselves. And in verse 4 he goes on here and he says, But let each one of you examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. We call it self-awareness these days. Pay attention to yourself. Look at yourself. Be honest with yourself. And say, you know, if everybody's getting mad at you, maybe there's a reason. You know, maybe maybe you are uptight. You know, maybe you are bumming everybody out. You know, look at yourself. And say, God, show me what's going on here. And if God shows you, then you can deal with it yourself. Okay. And so these efforts that we're making, these these even religious things that we're doing or whatever, we look and say, you know, Lord, help me be responsible for myself, and then I won't be so worried about judging the other person all the time. Just like Jesus said, you know, deal with the lumber in your own eye before you go after that other person. Look at yourself. Take take, take account of yourself. And you know the wonderful thing about God is God deals with us gently like this broken bone thing. He doesn't beat us up. He wants us to be healed. I love that verse. A smoking flax he will not quench. A bruised reed he will not break. You guys know that. He's all about restoring and healing. That's what He's all about. Even that passage where He says, every branch in me, my Father prunes it. Why? Why? so it can bear more fruit more kindness more gentleness more patience more self-control okay so Paul's moving on here verse 7 he says do not be deceived god is not mocked for whoever whatever a man sows that he will also root, reap now you know we we fool ourselves if we think we're not going to have to pay for the things that we do we think we can fool god or avoid god or not have to answer to god and there is a Spiritual law of reciprocity. That means that sowing and reciprocating. It means you, whatever you pay for is what you're going to get. Whatever you invest in, it's going to come back on you, right? So what we sow, we reap. Now, and, and please, if, if anybody here is using the word karma in your in your conversations daily, please strike that out. And know that Pastor Chris said that is a demonic Hindu doctrine. Okay. And I know people use it every day and say, Oh, karma got that guy, I'm waiting on karma to pay him back. That is a Hindu doctrine of demons, okay? We don't we don't believe in that. But we do believe that we reap what we sow. And I'm not even I'm not talking about money and like some of these false prosperity teachers. But you show you show kindness. You take time and you be patient with people. You sow, like he's talking here, and you will reap. You will reap benefits. You will see that other person grow. And you will you will invest in the spiritual fruit of others, like Paul is doing here. He's investing in these people. And and he you know, he he's taking the risk of they could hate his guts and not like what he has to say. But it's okay because he's sowing. We have to remember that. Whatever we sow, we will also reap. God has these laws in place. If it's the if-then principle. If we do this. Then this will happen. If we do this, this will happen. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You think about it. These religious guys, these Judaizers, and this is what he's talking about, they're just sowing to the flesh. They're trying to dress up the flesh. Who was here when Gail Irwin was here a few years ago? Remember Gail's famous phrase about what does flesh do? Anybody remember? Anybody remember? It rots. Flesh rots. From the time you're born, you're, it's downhill. When I mean, you grow up and you reach, what? what is it, like 30 or something, and from then on your body starts going the other way, right? flesh flesh dies flesh rots and all these guys were doing they were cleaning up rotting flesh they were dressing it up and they were and they were wanting to look good and all that and they were investing in something that wasn't going to last flesh doesn't last it just doesn't but the truth is every one of us is investing in something everyone in the world is investing in something you can invest. I mean, the, the Bible speaks very positively about people investing in businesses, right? It's a good thing to invest and, and use your talents and your skills and your abilities that God has given you, and hopefully there'll be some kind of return that you can use to bless other people with somehow. But if you if you can, and we see it all around us, if you if you invest in in nothing but, but taking care of your flesh and you you abuse your flesh, then we see all kinds of people with AIDS and alcoholism and addictions, or people whose egos are out of <laughs> Control or get even mental illness that can be that can be um, instigated by this self-absorbed attitude all the time, and literal destruction is the end of that. If, if all we do is, is sow to flesh, flesh, flesh. But notice here, and I think this is very interesting. In this in this verse, he talks about a man sowing to his flesh, to his own flesh, but he talks about the other person who sows to the f- spirit. See, people that sow the flesh feel like, well, this is my flesh, it's my world, it's my, it's my business, it's none of your business, it's me, it's mine, it's, it's all about my, my thing. But it's the Spirit, and the Spirit is the Spirit of God. So, uh, as uh, Warren Wiersbe pointed out, and it's a really good quote here, he says, Sowing to the flesh means living for the flesh, investing time and money on things that will not last. Sowing to the Spirit means spending time and money on things eternal. How many Christians use their time and money and, um, on things fleshly and they wonder why they never grow in grace or reap spiritual fruits? So he's, he's reminding these people: you know, don't put all your effort into these religious things, but rather be concerned about the real fruit of the Spirit that God wants to manifest in your life. Therefore, Look at at verse 10. He says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Goodness is the fruit of the Spirit. And the word goodness in our Bibles is translated generosity. You don't have to give money. You can give time. You can just take time for people. You can give them a ride. Take them to the store. Bring them to church. Loan them a piece of equipment. Give them something that they need. Give of yourself, right? But he said, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. And we always have opportunity to do some good for somebody. You can just be kind to a little kid, you know. You can help your neighbor. There's always so many opportunities. You can see somebody at the grocery store. And say, "Hey, help me! Let me help you with that. Let me help you get those in your car or whatever." You know, you, there's always something you can do to help somebody else. But we have to remember that we don't just do it for to our favorites. You know, Jesus said, "You know, even the, the sinners love those that love them." You know, so we, we, we do good even to people that maybe aren't our favorite. Maybe that person at work that you're not crazy about. The one that always gets on your nerves. Or that grouchy neighbor. right? We always have opportunity to do good to others. But he says here, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now I've said this to our church many times over in Nashville. That we have a special responsibility to believers that we do not have to the world. and let me just explain what I mean by that sometimes we think well the thing that Christians are supposed to do is go out here and you know pass out blankets to the poor you know and and save the puppies and you know and, and do all these things out here in the world but we have a special responsibility to each other and I've said this before that other than our worship and our personal dedication to God that our primarily ministry our primary ministry is to the church now what do I mean by that? If I don't invest and take care of my brothers and sisters in the household of God, they're not going to benefit. And, and, we, and that's, re- again, there's that word reciprocal again. I learned that at Big Creek High School, reciprocal. Okay? It means that, that I take care of you and you take care of me. We all take care of each other. Okay, but if we don't take care of the saints in the house of God, then we're not going to be healthy. And how many of you have probably attended some church service in the past, and you leave the church service and you go, ah, and as I just feel I can't stand those people, I don't want to. You, know, you guys probably never said that. I've said that. You know, I don't want to go there. I don't like it, right? Because we're not taking care of each other. But if we do take care of each other, we'll be healthy. And Pastor Chuck used to always say, "Healthy sheep reproduce." Healthy sheep reproduce. So we take care of each other. We bless one another. We minister to one another. And then we'll be healthy. And we will grow. We will grow. We've probably all, again, been in churches where people don't grow. People don't grow. Because of the either the teaching or the mistreatment of one another. And Jesus said again, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And you can go probably within a half a mile or a mile of this place and talk to someone and say, I'm not going to that church or this church or that church or whichever church because they mistreated me or they didn't take care of me or I didn't think they loved me. But people will always go where they know they're loved, genuinely loved. So if we will do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith, And let people know that there's a place where they can be restored. The broken bones can be reset. They can learn how to grow back well and in a healthy way. People will respond to that as long as they're open to the real work of the Holy Spirit. And as long as we just don't let people think that we're doing it just to impress ourselves or impress one another. Now, Paul's kind of switching channels here just a little bit, but in verse 11 he says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Why in the world would he say that? Because often the apostles would use a secretary to write the letters for them. They would dictate it and they would write it. But Paul says, I wrote this myself. I want you to know that I wrote it myself. And I wrote it with large letters because many people believed that his thorn in the flesh was poor eyesight. So he had to use the giant print. Right, In order to, to, to sign his name here and to write this to these people, he's letting them know that he's making an effort to reach out to them. It's not just a religious duty. He is, he is making a, a real effort to these people because he loves them so much. Now, again, he's getting back to these people that are trying to impress with the flesh. He said, as many as, are, as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They're doing this. They're trying to get you to follow their ways so that they will look good to the people that sent them out. Okay, They're really trying to avoid being persecuted themselves. Okay, And that's why they're trying to get you to do this. And then Paul says, remember that not even those who are circumcised are keeping the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They can go back to the people that sent them and go, oh yeah, we had so many in this town and so many in this town, and it makes us look good, and it makes these people happy. He said that they may boast in your flesh. But then Paul says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, I'm not doing this so that I can go back and tell people I got so many people in Galatia and so many people in Philippi and so many people in Thessalonica so I don't brag about this stuff the only thing the only thing that I can brag about is what Jesus has done Jesus is the only one who has done anything to accomplish our salvation by paying the price for us on the cross and our accomplishments guys our church plants our missions trips our VBS, our Sunday school, our worship service, none of that is anything for any of us to boast in. The only thing that we can give glory to is the fact that the Son of God came to seek and to save that which was lost. That Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And Bill Scott's next. Okay. (laughs) But we, we don't we can't brag about it, but it's so easy, isn't it for us to brag on these things, our accomplishments, our events, our successes? We held a conference, and so many people attended you know we baptized so many you know and but it's Jesus and i and I thank God for people getting baptized. I thank God for conferences. But we got to remember why does any of this stuff take place in the first place? It's because Jesus Christ gave Himself to save sinners. And we get, need to remember too to be very, very careful not to tell stories to make ourselves heroes. It's so easy to do. It's easy for me to do. It's easy for me to go back to Tennessee and go, oh, that church up there in Princeton, those guys are doing great because we went up there and we suffered and we struggled and we, you know, That's so much nonsense. I'm glad you guys are doing great. I see the fruit. I see these little kids. I see people that come here and hold on to Christ when you've had a hard life. And you've had trouble. And you look around this crazy world and it looks like it's flying apart. And you don't know where we're even going to be in six months. You know, We're going to make it to another election sometime. And you see all this stuff. But we hold on to Christ. Because He gives us what we need and He's given us the Spirit to hold on and to be patient and to love one another even when it's hard. And it and it does get hard. So this is the thing that we glory in is Jesus Christ Himself and what He has done. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. We need to be dead to all of these things and knowing that Jesus is is the only one who makes any of this possible. And as many as walk according to this rule, what rule? Glorying in Christ. That's it. Being crucified to the world and letting the world be crucified to us. Can we do that? That's hard, isn't it? So You know, we love this world. And I don't say that in a bad way. But we love our kids, don't we? We love our friends. We love things like a good meal and good music and seeing the sunset or going to the beach or getting out in the woods. or yeah. It, it, sometimes you like I can't even believe I get to live here. It's so wonderful. But, but can we be dead to things like pride? Can we be dead to things like impressing others? Or the lust of the flesh or the, the foolish things that, that tempt us in such a small way? See, when Paul talks here about being crucified to these things, being dead to these things, he's saying, they don't affect me. I don't allow that to be my decision making. What should be? What should affect our decision making? God's call on our lives, the Holy Spirit in our lives, our place in the body of Christ, discovering our gifts, and 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 saying, Lord, I'm, I'm yours, Lord. I'm bought with a price. I want to I want to go where you want me to go, and I want to do the things that you want me to do. And I don't boast in my religious upbringing or any of these kind of things. I only rejoice in you. And verse 16, I think, is a very, very powerful verse here. Because he said, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy will be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now notice here, that peace and mercy are not for everyone. They're not. They're only for people who apply this. Right? You, when, when you apply this, you'll have peace and mercy. First of all, you'll have peace with God. And forgiveness of sin. When I became a Christian, guys, I was such a mess. I mean, I was so lost. And I was so confused. I was 19 years old. i have been playing bars for three years. And the, the, the thing that overwhelmed me the most when I became a Christian was how I had no more guilt. When I was young, running around hiding from people and everything else, I was paranoid all the time. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You're afraid you're going to get caught. You're afraid you're going to get busted. You're afraid somebody's going to find out. Right? Find out you were lying about this or that or whatever. But when you come to the Lord and He sets you free, all of a sudden, like, wow, I feel no guilt. I feel no shame. I'm not ashamed of anything. I don't care who knows what about me. Even if they find out about my past sins, I don't care. I don't care. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. So we have peace with God. And you know what else we have? We have peace with other people because we stop arguing. We stop striving. We stop fighting with people. We learn to forgive. We learn to extend grace. Because if you don't forgive, and I know this firsthand, you will just have so much bitterness in your heart. And you get mad every time you think about it. And you tell everybody that will even listen and you're just gripe and grit your teeth and you can't stand it. You're so mad. Right? But if you're give, guess what? It's not there anymore. So mercy, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. We have peace. We have mercy, undeserved mercy from God. And guess what else? We become merciful people. We become merciful. Don't you want to be a merciful person? Don't you want to be a person who's like Jesus? Don't you want to be able to restore the sinner like this? You know, when Jesus, in John chapter 8, they brought a woman to him who was caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the very act. Where was the dude? I don't know. But they brought her. And what did Jesus do? He said, where are your accusers? Right? Jesus said, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Well, there was somebody there without sin. You know who that was? It was Jesus. Did he cast a stone? No. And they all left. And then he said to her, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't have any. And he said, I don't condemn you either. But he also said, he also said, and this is where we have to be straight with people. He also said, go and sin no more. When we restore people, we can't just be too easy on them. We have to say, go and sin no more. Jesus told the man who had been um, lame for years, he said, Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. What's the worst thing that could have happened? That he would forget that God had ever helped him? That he would forget God altogether, that God had ever done anything for that's the worst thing. It's to think that God to forget that God had ever helped you to begin with. So when we experience that mercy, we become like Jesus. We become merciful people. Okay. Now, most of you remember when God called Abraham. He said, Abraham, I will make you a blessing. And I've always loved that. He It wasn't just, Abraham, I'm going to make you rich. I'm going to make you famous. You're going to be the head of a big family. But he said, I will make you a blessing. That Hebrew word for blessing has two two meanings. one is a pool of refreshment. I will make you a pool of refreshment. Are people refreshed around you or are they stressed around you? are they are, are we a pool of refreshment? that's what God wants us to be a pool of refreshment. you know the other word that that other thing that that word blessing means it means a gift. Are you a gift from God? Are you a gift from God to other people? That's what he wants us to be, a pool of refreshment and a gift to other people. So it says here, just look at this verse one more time, verse 16, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Now he inserts that phrase, and upon the Israel of God, because that goes back to where he was saying that the true Israel of God are not those born with genetic, you know, with with Hebrew Levi genes but the ones who are born of the promise of God, the Spirit of God. So, he wants these people to know that if you walk in this, you will have peace with God, you will become, you will be merciful, you will have mercy from God, and you will become a merciful person. And, uh, uh, you know, he says this only works if you apply it. This only works if you apply it. In John 13... It says, when he had washed their feet the night he was betrayed, he says, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And another translation says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And any of us who were raised under the gospel and fought God as hard as we could can say, if you know these things, miserable you will be if you don't do them. Right? Because when we know the truth of God and we know these things and we accept them and we walk in it, we're blessed and we become a blessing. We become a pool of refreshment to other people. And that's what the Lord wants for each every one of us. That's the fruitfulness. He said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And the fruit is the kindness and the generosity and the, the faithfulness and the meekness that, that is there. That other people, other people need that from you. Even that jerk that you work with, that rotten brother-in-law of yours, he needs it. They need it. And we, and we need to be the ones willing to give it from the Lord. Paul goes on here, and we're we're done. But he says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He said, I'm done. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Don't don't y'all bother me anymore. He said, look, those guys, they bear in their body the marks of circumcision in their flesh. He said, but he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. You know what Paul's marks were? Beatings, shipwrecks, prison. Those were his scars. That's what showed that, that he was right with the Lord. And then he says, finally, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Notice he says, with your spirit, not your flesh. With your spirit. Not religious rules. Not the circumcision. Not the haircut. Not the clothes. Not any of that. But with your spirit. Salvation is of the spirit. It's a work of the spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a good man. He, he really was. He came in John chapter 3 that night. He was a good man. But Jesus said, if you're not born of the Spirit, you can't see the kingdom of God. You won't be aware of the kingdom of God. You won't perceive or understand the kingdom of God unless you're born of the Spirit. And that's this is a work of the Spirit, guys. It's not, ai am going to pull up my bootstraps and show God how hardcore I can be. No. Nope. We come and we surrender and say, Lord, save me. Fill me, change me, send me, show me. And it's a lifelong process, guys. It's not a one time at the altar crying and slobbering, and that's fine. But it's a walk here on out till Jesus comes. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these wonderful people that you love so much. Thank you for giving us this word from the Apostle to remind us that it, it's totally a work of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, change us by your Spirit. Help those of us that maybe don't even fully grasp or understand what that is to know that that's what you want for us. And if we'll surrender, you'll show us and you'll teach us. So help us not to strive. Help us not to give in to people pressuring us or trying to frustrate us because, Lord, you will set that bone aright. You will help us to grow back the way we're supposed to. And uh, there may be people here, Lord, that I don't know. I don't know everyone. Maybe someone has sinned and they they really need that, that grace and mercy from you. And maybe somebody else needs to is helping someone else be restored. And they need the wisdom to restore someone else. Either way, Lord, we're, we're on one end or the other of this. Either we're needing forgiveness or we're giving grace to others. So I just thank you for this place. Thank you for the fellowship we have thank you for the continuing work i pray lord that you would even blow the doors off of this place and and explode this church in such a way that uh have tremendous fruitfulness not just in the princeton but in the surrounding areas and counties and even around the world with missions lord just increase the the fruitfulness of this place lord and uh surprise us surprise us lord do the things that only you can do that we can never ever begin to do ourselves because it's all of you and help us remember that. So again, we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in the name of your dear son, Jesus, who makes all of our prayers possible by his precious blood on the cross. And we look forward, Lord, to seeing our blessed Lord and hearing him say, well done. But we know that it only occurs when we walk with you and apply these things and let you have your way in our lives. Amen.